This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to our Sunday program. Uh, I'm Doug Jacobson, and uh, we, there are several of us still here at Jikoji. I just want to, before we get started, give you a brief update of how we're doing. Uh, I know uh, many of you have been concerned and we've heard from many of you and appreciate that very much. Our preparations for both um, protecting the perimeter, um, you know, the, usually there's a hundred foot perimeter, we're working more on that with success. And we're also prepared for evacuation when need be. But for, for now, the CZU light, uh, lightning complex fires uh, in the Big Basin, Ben Lomond area uh, is, is um, stable, at least as far as we're concerned, and came to within about five miles of us to the south. Um, uh, some of our Sangha members have been affected uh, in, in difficult ways, uh, needing to be evacuated. Some have lost homes. Uh, some are still, their homes are still standing, though they are evacuated. So that's good news down, down towards Santa Cruz. They talk about 71,000 acres have been burned and it's 8% contained. Uh, but uh, this afternoon, for the next couple of days, all that can change because uh, maybe many of you know there are electrical storms coming and lightning strikes uh, are possible again. So uh, we'll just continue with our um, efforts to take care of uh, this, this place as we can and we'll also protect of our be protective of our lives uh, and evacuate when it's time. Um, many of you know that we're at the very northern tip of Santa Cruz County and just beyond the pond to the west is San Mateo County and just across Skyline Boulevard to the north is the beginning of Santa Clara County. Santa Clara County is not called for any, any evacuations. But our neighbors just across the road, when they get the notice, uh, things will be different for us here too. So anyway, we're just paying attention and um, we'll just continue taking care as we can. So uh, now um, I, I just appreciate seeing all these faces here. So thank you so much. Um, now I'd like to turn it over to my sister of the Dharma, Mado, who's in Pennsylvania, uh, in central Pennsylvania, I believe. And uh, tell us how you're doing. And, and then we can uh, begin uh, with the chant when, when you're ready, okay? Yes. Greetings, everyone, all my friends and colleagues in California. Um, we also have a drought here, severe, severe drought. Uh, in fact, um, we're hoping that in the next hour we get 
some kind of thunderstorm. So there is a possibility that everything will go <laughs> and we'll just have to go back to our cushions. But um, I'm hoping we can get through the next hour, but we, we definitely are praying for rain uh, and hearing my daughter lives in California in Alameda and I know how there's so much suffering uh, so much distress and I, I'd like to dedicate my practice and and my words today to all who are struggling in whatever way uh, they are so we can proceed okay. May our intentions equally extend. This is okay, what is it? An, unsurpass An unsurpassable, penetrating, and perfect dharma is hardly met with in a hundred thousand million bhakas. Having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept. I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. So I guess these are really not the Tathagata's words. Um, these are my words, but they're also not mine either. Um, it's, I was just reminded how nothing is really anybody's. Um, and I'd like to share with you some of the uh, explorations that we here at Oan Zendo, our sister temple to Jikoji, have been uh, working on. We've been exploring something that seems endless, and that is this self, this me, I, mine. And it seems from the very time of our birth, our exit from the womb, we are becoming someone from that mo actually maybe these days it's even before birth before birth we know often the sex of the child and we've named even before the child has emerged from the womb it's got a name so it seems a perpetual a perpetual endeavor of ours to be becoming someone. We call this someone a self. Yet, however much we are energetically trying to create this self and recreate it and stabilize it and confine it and sub substantiate it, However much we, we work at doing that, it seems that we know less and less about who this really is. This, what Dogen says to study Zen, 
is to study the self. And so that's what we do. It seems constant. Well, this study, we, we, we don't go to the Library of Congress to study this. Not even a special collection, you know, where we have a book on the self, the truth about the self that we see under glass, and we have special key to get into that special collection. We don't, that's not how we study the self, much as, and it's not even on Wikipedia, although you'll find all kinds of information on the, the, the definition of the self and where it appears and different scholarly attributions. But to study the self in the way that we do as Zen students is to go to Jikoji, to sit down on our cushions. That's where the study of the self takes place. And I have gone to Jikoji many, many times to engage in this study. And I remember one time in particular, one year, this has been quite a number of years that I have had the honor and the pleasure of being part of the Jikoji Sangha. One year, I, I absolutely made a commitment to myself that I am going to find out who I really am. This time, I think it was during Rohatsu, when all the trimmings, all the bells and whistles, all the toys were gone, at least the attempt to discard all of them are gone. And you know, Meido, I'm going to find out who you really are. You know, I know all of these roles that you play and all the ways you present yourself to the world. I call them post-its. You know, we, <laughs> we continually, mother, daughter, teacher, um, lover, artists, therapist, Zen priest, and as you, as we grow and evolve, our whole being gets full of these post-its, and they kind of flap around, but we think that they're permanent. We somehow think they really stick to us. So I had a lot of these post-its on me, and I said, you know, I'm going to get to the heart of this. I'm going to get to you who you really are. You're going to be ruthlessly honest with yourself during this session. You're not going to play any games with yourself. You're not going to pretend. You're, you're going to find out just, just exactly who you really are. What wasn't it wasn't very successful. Time and again, all I came up with was this activity of trying 
to find out who I really was. I just kept bumping into that. That's all, that's all I could discover. There was no content. There was no, I'm looking for something and I found it. It has content. It had no content. There was no content at all. It was just an activity of trying, trying and trying. And of course, at least temporarily, it was very clear to me that there is no real me. And I actually breathed a sigh of relief. Whew. This NATO, this core soul self, it just wasn't there. There was just a lot of activity that came and went, but there was no real, no real me with the accent on the no. No. Well, of course, that insight, that realization came and went <laughs> like everything else. But there were many other ways, many other opportunities that I had to have this same insight that came and went. It, they're kind of glimpses that I got of this truth independently of sitting on the cushion. There are ways to discover this truth outside of sitting on the cushion, although sitting on the cushion is a very effective way to discover this. So I'd like to share maybe some of these other glimpses that I had with you and perhaps they will evoke an experience that you had. The first one is very, I think, common. Um, I'm watching a movie, uh, a video on my screen and I'm, it, it's usually maybe I'm watching Mad Men or another uh, binge-worthy series and I'm really involved in it. The recent one has been Ozark. And I'm right in the middle of all oh, my, I can feel my body tensing up, uh, that I'm, I'm just giving myself completely to this story. I'm very much into it. And then suddenly the screen starts breaking up there's an interference with the visual screen and lights go off and, and the image gets distorted and fragmented, it sort of goes to pieces. I'm sure some of you have had this experience. 
And my reaction is a shock. Hey, this isn't real. <laughs> These are just pixels on a screen. <laughs> That's all I'm really experiencing. But boy, did it seem compelling. A glimpse. The self. It seems so real. I'm so into it. And suddenly, things fall apart. They don't stay apart very long. The reception returns. You know? um, it's like when the Twin Towers fall, the first reaction is build it back up, bigger and stronger and better. So you may feel the self suddenly falling apart, but the reaction is usually, oh, can't let this happen. Got to rebuild. Got to reinstate this sense of who I am. I'm not going to let myself be vulnerable in this way. The second glimpse that I had of this emptiness, or as you speak of it at Jokoji, boundlessness, actually like the word emptiness, um, was after my mother died. And I was returning home from the funeral parlor with a box of her ashes. And they were in the passenger seat where she usually was. And I looked over at this box and just had this uh, incredible sensation of our non-existence, or at least our existence, she was ashes, but at least our non-existence in the way we believe we exist. Now she was ash. And this woman who had such a profound effect on my life was now nothing. Nothing like what she was. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely different. And my question was, was she ever? Was she ever different from this? The fact that she so-called became this, what does it say about what she was? And what does it say about who I am? Sometimes radical loss of one of these, you know, the, the little post-its, little strips and then there are the big ones <laughs> like daughter 
or mother. And husband or wife or and so when that chunk gets is lost that post-it that we really identify with it can give us a glimpse of no separate self we often say when we we have a deep loss a part of me is gone Part of me is gone. Well, there's, there's a good bit of truth in that. Because that was part of your story. And that part is, is different. It's not what it was. So not to hold on to this impermanent, fluid being. Because all of these post-its are just flapping in the wind. And sometimes, even though you don't want to let go of it, sometimes the post-its ripped off of you. You have no choice. Sometimes, well, when I quit my job as, as a professor at Penn State, I took it off. But when I lost my best friend, it was ripped off of me. But in any case, it's always just temporary. Another glimpse. Ever since I've had to use Zoom, I'm, I'm, as Michael often says, he's a Luddite. Well, I'm a Luddite too. And, but I've been forced to, if I wanted to communicate with my Sangha and with you, I have to use this technology. And even now, Owan Zendo has a Facebook page, which I never would have done myself. But I, I noticed that if you go on social media, I mean, even looking at the um, thumb print, thumbnail pictures of everyone, you can be anyone. You have, I have Mado, but I can put a picture of Bugs Bunny up there. And that will be me. We, uh, they, uh, don't they call it avatar? It's, an, it's your avatar. I can be Bugs Bunny. I can, I, can have a, I can have this body and a different face. I can have this body and this face and a different voice. I can be a watermelon. I can be a lotus blossom. I can be Buddha. I can have that avatar. And in fact, again, there's some truth in that. Am I this person that you're looking at? 
this person whose baby picture is you'd never recognize as this person. And as a matter of fact, if you read some of the audiences in the sutras, my gosh, there are so many avatars, manifestations of Buddha. There are bodhisattvas and gods and dragons and uh, bodhisattvas and and human beings and non-human beings and kings and queens. <laughs> I mean, and they're all manifestations of the Buddha. So what does it mean to be little old me? That can be, it can be scary. That who am I? I'm no one. I'm boundless, but I'm also ground, groundless. The boundless part is beautiful and wonderful. <laughs> the groundless part is often not so beautiful and wonderful. Both are, are possible. Both feed one another. So, the you know, I'm always trying to figure out, as a Dharma teacher, how to transmit some of these teachings in a way, I kind of like throw out, what they say, throw out spaghetti <laughs> on the wall and see what sticks. I'm sharing some, some things that have worked for me, and maybe they'll evoke something that works for you. But I found this image. This is the figure in ground, right? Everybody can see it. So this helped me a lot. If we say that this is the self, this form, that form only exists with these two forms. There's nothing about this form that's independent of these. Not a single point, <laughs> nothing in the middle that is independent of these. And similarly, there is nothing in these that is independent of this. As Thich Nhat Hanh often likes to say, we are made up of non, all non-us elements. And this is a kind of a perfect example of that. This is empty of independent existence from this, from these heads. So that image may help you sort of trans transcribe that image into your own experience. A lot of people, for example, these days are, are uh, going on to something called Ancestry.com or 
you know, they're they're trying to find out who they are, um, right? You go and you find out all about your lineage. And if you really scratch the surface of that, it will be endless. There's no place to stop in that tracing of your ancestry. We understand that as Zen students, but it gives people comfort, understandably, to, know, to have those boundaries. I'm Jewish, I'm from Russia, my grandparents are from Russia, from, from Austria, um, they lived in these parts, you know, this is what their professions were, and yeah, now I can, I can define myself. It comforts me to know who we, we're always building that but you know we have to do that constantly you know why because if we stop doing that we're going to discover that we're empty <laughs> so we have to keep finding ways to keep oh this one flies off put this one on you know, keep, keep that thing going. But what happens if, as Zen students, we, um, we take a breath and stop doing that and have confidence that what we have discovered is not something to be afraid of. We may be completely vulnerable, completely naked, completely naked. No, nothing, nothing on us. But that's liberating. The downside is that, you know, we're nothing, but the upside is that we're everything. And how does that bear upon, how does that discovery bear upon our everyday lives? Deep insight. It's, it's something we discover as being real. But so what? What? How do how do we how do we um, apply that? How how is that insight? Uh, how does that integrate with our lives every day? Well, one of the ways I found that it affects my life on a daily basis is that I can act spontaneously. My actions, I don't have to be consistent. I don't have to be consistent with this, a self that I've shown the world and they're saying, Mado, you know, you're a Zen priest. Why are you depressed? <laughs> Thank you.
I don't have to be consistent. I don't have to. I don't have to. Um, I don't have to defend. I don't have to defend anything because there's nothing there to defend. I don't have to be on the defensive. But the most, I mean, the most beautiful thing is that we're free to become, to grow, to change, to become something completely surprising, unpredictable. And we don't have to defend who we were or who we presented the world to be. Um, one of my Sangha members told me um, just an incident with the Dalai Lama where he, um, he came to give a teaching and everything was very, very well prepared, all very formal. Um, everything was set up beautifully like it is at Jokoji right now. And the Dalai Lama came in and he sat down and it just so happened that the seat that he was sitting on was wobbly. And what did the Dalai Lama do? He didn't call for a different chair. He started, he started jumping up and down and enjoying the ride and laughing. That's, that's a selfless, that's a selfless action. That's a liberated, that's a liberated action. What joy in that? What joy in life? And I want to end with um, a, a little story that both Jiro and Taizan might appreciate because we were in Japan together and very recently. And one of the, we stayed in, an, in a number of little inns. And one of the features of a Japanese inn is that you don't have a private bath, right? You go into the tub with other people who you don't know. And I am very shy, uh, not, not in this way, but about my body. I don't like to be seen naked by anyone. And I'm 77 years old, <laughs> and there's not much you can do with Photoshop <laughs> to, to make my body any different than it is. And I went down to the bathroom where there was a, a tub, a public tub. And outside of the door were three pairs of shoes, which told me that there were three women in that tub that I was about to enter. Well, I picked up my towel, turned around, and walked back to my room. There was no way I was going to be naked. And this is, I'm, 
I'm offering this as a metaphor, as well as a, a real story. This actually happened. But it's also a metaphor for our nakedness, for our emptiness, for our boundlessness. So I went back to my room and waited a while, thinking, oh, they're going to be finished soon, and I'll have the tub all to myself. So maybe 15 minutes later, I went down, and there were two pairs of shoes outside of the room. <laughs> and I was really needing a bath. <laughs> but while I was standing there, looking at these shoes, they were lovely little shoes. And I was sure that the women who were in there were probably young and very um, beautiful, probably. But the more I looked, what I first saw were these tiny little wonderful looking beautiful shoes. But as I looked more and more, I saw that these shoes were empty. And I walked in and had a bath. So now I welcome, um, talk to me. I welcome, talk to everyone. I welcome comments, other experiences, questions, anything. I just want to hear Jakoji's Sangha. So what we do at Owan is when, before we speak, we just put palms up together in front of our face and then unmute. Yeah, you, you mentioned, um, well, expressions, I've heard them before. And, and I think they're the same, but they, they just feel different. And when you talk about no self and no separate self, you know, one feels isolated, the other feels kind of interconnected. Are they, what's the, is there a new, what's, I don't know, what's the nuance there, if there is any? <laughs> That's my question. Well, before I respond, um, I would like to invite others to, I mean, I've talked enough. If others have responses, I'm, I'm only too happy to hear them. And... Um, I'm also happy to respond. So other thoughts on this? Okay. <laughs> um, there's actually no nuance here. 
it's it's as clear as that figure ground it's that clear but you got to get clear um the the sense of isolation is a delusion it's a delusion that we need to recognize and we need to recognize how it's built how for various reasons we come to feel that we're separate so i would also say that this sense of self which is separate and lonely and isolated is real it, we we really feel that i mean but we 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 don't it's just a feeling <laughs> it's just a feeling that has been built up and we we basically don't want to believe that feeling we want to recognize it as a feeling yes it feels lonely it feels isolated but when i get clear when i get glimpses as i've tried to indicate of some deeper truth which is so clear so patent as as clear as those lines then we've got it we don't feel lonely because there's no you to feel lonely there's just the feeling there's just the feeling this is i wish i could i wish i could get this in a permanent way and i wish if i got it i could give it to you <laughs> that's a gift but i can't i can just do my best Thank you. Good to see you again, Mado. Yes. Um you started off by saying uh after you quoted Dogen that that we don't go to the library of congress to study ourselves to study the self uh you said we go to jikoji to sit zazen uh um, um why 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 do we have to go anywhere to study the self Why can't we just do it where we are? Yeah, we can. Of course. Why why can we? Because it's always there. It's all it's a delusion we carry around with us constantly. So it's always there. it's in front of the it's it's uh, while we're watching um uh, a movie it's while we're having dinner it's while we're take ready to take a bath it's while we're on social media uh it's it's everywhere um it's when when we uh when we've we're grieving for the loss of a loved one it's there 
it's it's everywhere and yet we know very little <laughs> about it why because it's nothing so yes we we we're caught you know i don't think i actually don't think we choose to go to jikoji or choose this practice we may choose to to continue it in some way but we are called we're called to do this there's we call it buddha nature we we seek expression of who we really are and so jikoji seems like a very um a very uh supportive a lovely beautiful um environment to do that we have a fighting chance of doing it at jikoji where when we're in the midst of a trip to japan with people we don't know and facing fears that we've had with us all our lives we have less of a less of an you know we kick in you know uh to the old patterns they're just patterns they're just stories but we tend to grab onto them then cuz we're feeling groundless or insecure so yes you're absolutely right we can study study the self anywhere thank you mm. um so when we, we when we kind of think or believe or seem to know that the self is empty or self is a delusion or that these feelings are delusions and that boundlessness is the truth why can't we realize it like when we seem to know that things are empty why can't we realize it yeah well, we can realize it then why can't absolutely we? we can i mean i think uh, my understanding is that buddha does not teach anything that we can't accomplish um he may have with he may have when he uh experienced enlightenment may he may have been reluctant to share that possibility with others because he may have felt misunderstood that this was not something that people could do because they were enmeshed in the life of illusion or delusion but his teachings are designed for human beings and we can realize we can become fully realized human beings fully liberated it takes practice though that's it that's the point we 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 need to undo we need to see through 
these illusions that we have accepted as the reality. They are, they exist, but they don't exist the way we think they do. And we can discover that. We can discover that. We get glimpses of it, glimpses of it, more and more, more and more. And slowly, I have confidence. I have confidence in this practice that our lives will become more and more liberated. But then isn't that also a form of becoming? Like we started the talk with saying that there's always this becoming, then that is also a becoming. If you if you if you'd like to 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 put this process um, if you want to call this process a becoming, it's a path. It is a path. It's a way. But when, when you, according to my understanding of the teachings, and so many who have um, accomplished the way or have realized the way, and it's difficult to find the right words, what they say is, I didn't get anywhere. It was always here. It was, you know, it was right in front of me, as clear as the vase and the heads. So what I've discovered is what was always there, but I just didn't see it. Alan Watts has a wonderful uh, phrase for this um, becoming, and, and he, he speaks about the path uh, he goes into a, a, this great temple, this great Japanese temple, very ornate and ancient and walks through it and walks through the uh, priest's quarters and the monk's quarters. And the path, he says, ends in the parsley. The path ends in your ordinary life, in your ordinary mind. That's the paradox of Zen, <laughs> that this great way ends in your ordinary life, not separate from anything. We live out that, sep that, we live out that non-separateness. We live it out. We just don't see it. We, we are living embodiments of the vase. <laughs> but we get stuck in the form, in the form. So our practice is to move out to the edges of ourself, to, to the edges of our form, where we meet the universe, where we meet everything that defines us. Um, there is another metaphor of um, some teachers speak about the fact that our ordinary self is a plaster Buddha. And inside this plaster Buddha, there's a golden Buddha. This is our 
This is our real self, the golden Buddha inside of us. I don't really buy that. I like to think of our nature as where the plaster meets the gold. That's where we live, where the plaster meets the gold. That line, I really love this, this thing. I really, I really do. So we live here as Zen students and practitioners, teachers. Where the diamond meets the dirt. Yeah, Susan? Thank you so much for this rich talk full of so many helpful metaphors. I, um, I'm curious about where psychotherapy meets Buddhism and the concern in most traditions that people are unstable at that junction and that they need support. Um, I know in the Jewish tradition, uh, people are not taught Kabbalah uh, when they're young. And they give examples of this rabbi or that rabbi who has gone crazy. Yeah. So um, I do see that potential for uh, risk. Um, and I appreciate some of the new writers who are looking at that merger so that uh, somehow people can, you know, in, in psychotherapy, they are often interested in building the self, building a more confident, robust, functional self. So how, how do you see that? Well, I do, I do sense that living on that edge is a razor's edge. And that's why I think many Dharma centers do, are very careful, uh, particularly with respect to Sashin, uh, who they permit. I think the Rochester Zen Center uh, has people fill out medical forms uh, before they are admitted uh, to Sashin. Um, and yes, um, it is a dangerous place. Uh, that's why I don't proselytize. <laughs> I would never try to persuade anybody to do this practice because you have to be called to it by some inner, inner calling. Uh, and it, it can, it, it's dangerous. It is, it is dangerous to let go of, of this construction, constructed self. And so also I'd like to suggest that Sangha is very important here. The three jewels. It's our family who, when they see that there's trouble, can help, can support us can lead us properly. So that's a reason Sangha is a jewel, 
but I would not also, I would not counsel against psychotherapy or anything like that. But speaking, speaking out of my experience as a Dharma teacher, this is what I would offer, that Buddha, the teachings, and the Sangha embrace us. I just realized when very often when we um, when we uh, end a message, we say in the Dharma, Mado, <laughs> in the Dharma, Mado. We embrace by the Dharma and by the Sangha, so we can find refuge, our three refuges. But it when we're in trouble, yeah, we can be in in very deep trouble when we when we find that line. But it, we can also be in great joy. Hi. Um, I don't know, Mido, can you see me? I, Maybe I'll speak some heresy, you can correct me. Uh, Dogen, Dogen, you quoted part of what Dogen said. Uh, Dogen said to uh, to study Buddhism is to study the self. Then the next sentence is to study the self, is to forget the self. And uh, this next sentence becomes kind of uh, different translations, but the one that I remember, and you can please correct me, the, the meaning that I remember from it is to forget the self is to be awakened by contact with all beings or maybe to be in relation with all beings uh, so so there is the um, so uh, you know when I when I was young and a more serious sense student I had the ter terror experience of not recognizing myself in an elevator reflection elevator and I talked to my teacher and he said, yes, that can be very uh, scary. Now that I don't sit so much, like I go to nature, I see old redwood trees. I feel like I'm walking with my ancient ancestors. That's why it's so heartbreaking to see these redwood trees in danger in Sonoma County where I live. So, I, in, in seeing, being with others, I can forget my limited self for just a little, little bit and be free when I've forgotten it. Because when I'm with the trees or looking at the ocean or people, even it happened while we were talking for, for, for a microsecond and I just came back. Uh, I feel the freedom 
of being beyond my shell. So forget, you know, and I remember Suzuki Roshi saying, you don't, you don't become awakened by vivisecting your mind. Like by your mind, observing your mind, which is a technique used in some schools of Buddhism. Suzuki Roshi said your mind, your, your, uh, your mind is always with what you see. I'm misquoting him a little bit, but you forget yourself in, in relation with everything. Uh, so that kind of goes to the no self and uh, interpenetrated self. So I don't, I don't know a, a self other than a self that's, you know, we stop the flow, we cut the flow of this experiencing and then we see yourself that's always happens to me but when i'm free is when that flow is now cut off thank you <clears throat> um it leads me to make a suggestion that has been made by others, but to remind, to remind us that when you become, when you, when you believe too much in that separate self, when you're, when you're inhabiting that separate self that you think is real, uh, and you're suffering because you are suffering, you're defending it, you're protecting it, you're trying to be consistent, you're trying to grab hold of it. Um, one of the most wonderful and liberating things to do is to immediately get out of the human environment <laughs> and move to the line where you connect with everything that isn't human. <laughs> In other words, all non-human elements, all non-self elements, and that's often the natural world. That world is given to us. It totally defines us. In, in fundamental ways. So when we, when we move to, those, to that edge and place ourselves in relation to all beings, then we feel free. And then what I think what my sense of what Dogen means when he says to forget the self is not that the self disappears. It's just that we don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's, we're not bothered by it. We know what it is. It's just a story. So when we, it's like you said, when you are engaged with everything else that makes you who you are, you forget that separateness. That's, that's what I understand Dogen to mean. That um, 
for those moments, we forget what we always knew, <laughs> that, that we are connected to everything and everything defines who we are. So thank you for that, that lesson in Dogen. <laughs> no, no, no lesson. Thank you. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for teaching. I'm confused. I just try to clarify my confusion by speaking up. That's a great way to clarify confusion. Talk. Teresa, uh, Tressa? Hello, thank you so much. Uh, resonated with so many things in your talk. Um, I, I don't know where we are in time. I'll make my question short. I wonder what your thoughts are on the idea of sudden awakening. You know, the flash of lightning in the dark, the getting hit over the head with realization, you know, <laughs> and like uh, Eckhart Tolle, you know, talks about how he had a sudden awakening. What are your thoughts about that possibility within our understandings in Zen Buddhism? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it any way it comes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think um, you know, there's no one right way. Uh, again, I'm speaking as, as you take, it, take it or leave it. Uh, this is, these are my best understandings. Um, I'm, that's what I'm offering you. Uh, but take, take what makes sense or what touches you and leave the rest. But um, because I have confidence in Buddha's teaching as to what is real and what is true, it can, it's always with us. And it can come at any time, any way. I happen to be a person who needs to practice a lot because my ego, my sense of self is very powerful. And it, you know, I would love it if it came <laughs> in a lightning bolt. But my, uh, my life experience is not that. Um, it can happen any, it, the possibilities are endless are boundless. I just, I just wish it would happen for everyone in some way, even if it's a tiny little glimpse. Well, thank you, Beto. Should, should we have one more question? If there's one more. Um, I had one more question. Um, if I've already asked one, so if anybody else has it, let them speak. Okay, so my question was uh, about boundlessness and separateness and uh, the, the example that we had used of the plastic Buddha and inside having the golden Buddha. So as the plastic Buddhas or as the separate selves, uh, we are, we believe in the golden Buddha or the boundlessness, or we are aware of it in some way, or we think that's real. So this is kind of our 
belief or intellectual understanding, if you may call it. So I was just wondering, uh, does the does the golden Buddha and the boundlessness, is it aware of the separateness in the same way that we are aware of the boundlessness or the golden Buddha? I am not sure I understand your question. Um, I'm saying that uh, just like, so we, we constructed this metaphor of we being the plastic Buddha and inside our real cells is the golden Buddha. Yeah. As separate cells or the plastic Buddhas, we're kind of aware of the golden Buddha, our real cells. So do you like, so this is an intellectual musing kind of a thing. So just to go further, uh, my, I was wondering, and this is a question for everybody. Anybody can think about, like, comment on it or share their thoughts. In the same way, just as separate Buddhas or separate plastic Buddha, we are aware of the golden Buddha. Is the golden Buddha also aware of the plastic Buddha, the outer separate self? That's a wonderful koan. That's a, good, that's a good place to leave, to end with. Is the golden Buddha aware of the plastic Buddha as much as the plastic Buddha, as you say, intellectually aware? That's, a, that's an important point, that we've constructed an intellectual metaphor, but it has some interesting implications. It's something to sit with. It's your koan. Thank you all so much. It was so wonderful to feel like I'm back in Jokoji. I wish you all well. Be safe. Be healthy. And jump into that tub naked. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.